Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall, and today we're going to talk about pregnancy and postnatal wellness for all those expecting and new moms out there. For some, pregnancy might seem like the perfect time to sit back and relax. You likely feel more tired than usual, and your back might ache from carrying a growing baby around. But unless you're experiencing complications, being less active won't really help. During pregnancy, exercise can help you stay in shape and prepare for labor and delivery. With us today to talk about just how important exercise is, is Dr. Justine Spencer. Now, Dr. Spencer is originally from Nanaimo, BC, but now calls Vancouver home. She completed her medical school and her family practice residency at UBC. She's a family physician that takes a patient-centered approach where communication and education is emphasized. Now, a large proportion of her practice is maternity and newborn care, including perinatal addictions care. So she delivers a lot of babies, and one of the reasons we have her as our guest today is she's the medical lead for a group prenatal education series called Connecting Pregnancy, based out of the BC Women's Hospital. Now in the second half of the show, we're going to have a chat with registered dietitian Jessica Tong, who will help us navigate another confusing topic during and after pregnancy, and that is nutrition. So there's lots of interesting stuff for you and your growing family to learn today, so let's listen in to my call with Dr. Spencer. Hi, Justine. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Mike. So we're going to talk about pregnancy and how to be healthy during pregnancy, maybe a little bit after pregnancy as well. But tell the folks about your background and, and uh, about your area of expertise. I am a family doctor in Vancouver, British Columbia. And part of my practice includes maternity care, taking care of pregnant women and also their newborns. Hmm. So a lot of people fail to sometimes acknowledge what they can do during pregnancy to make their pregnancy more enjoyable, but also more healthy and, and allow them to recover a little bit quicker. What are some of the, the key things when it comes to lifestyle that you promote with your patients? So the most important thing is to stay active. The general rule is that if you are active before pregnancy, then you should maintain that level of activity throughout your pregnancy. So I divide that general rule into three more specific rules, which is if you are not active at all before pregnancy, we do suggest that you become active in pregnancy. The second group of people is those women who are moderately active and they can maintain that level of activity and maybe push it a little bit more to meet the recommended guidelines. And then that third group of people are women who are very active pre-pregnancy and they are encouraged to attempt to maintain that level of activity, but not exceed it through their pregnancy. I, I feel like some people might think, okay, now I'm pregnant, I got to take it a little bit easier. But what are actually, what are the benefits? Why would somebody want to be um, more physically active? Evidence shows that being more active in your pregnancy decreases adverse pregnancy outcomes. So it's healthier for moms and healthier for babies. For example, it prevents preeclampsia, which is a serious medical condition related to hypertension and organ dysfunction. It leads to uh, babies that are not too big, so that can decrease your chance of uh, having a cesarean section delivery. Um, it can also lead to lots of small but meaningful benefits throughout your pregnancy, like improving back pain and leg cramps, um, as well as improving your mood. So there are lots of benefits from the beginning to the end of your pregnancy, as well as for your delivery and for your baby. 
Well, you just hit on some really, really good points there. I really want to attack certain things like uh, you talk about bad backs, you talked about hypertension. Another thing I think that is really common is gestational diabetes. Uh, for folks that are listening, can you explain what that is and maybe how exercise can, uh, can help? Absolutely. So gestational diabetes is a very common condition. It's different than type 1 and type 2 diabetes that many of your listeners might have heard of. It's diabetes that, that arises in a pregnancy. And the reason it happens is, is through some functions of the placenta. So it's not uh, because of the foods you're eating, although that can affect your sugar levels. It's, it's something that is primarily driven by your genetics. But just like anything that's driven by your genetics, your environment and your lifestyle choices can also influence that. So gestational diabetes is tested for in all pregnancies between 24 and 28 weeks of your pregnancy. And if you have it, part of the treatment and sometimes the whole treatment is actually diet and exercise changes. In addition, you can use exercise to prevent gestational diabetes. Right, right. So you actually do a prenatal education class and exercise has to be handled slightly differently during pregnancy. What are some rules that people should follow as they progress through their different trimesters? In the first trimester, if you weren't active before, you want to start to be active. For example, you can maybe start walking for 15 minutes a few times a week and see how that feels. Then you can start to increase it up to about 30 minutes a day. If you were active before you were pregnant, then you should just continue that activity level. Sometimes people are very tired and ill in their first trimester, and that's something that they need to listen to in their bodies and rest a little bit more if they're feeling nauseous or unwell while they're exercising. Another important message that I think your listeners need to hear is that it's important to contact your primary care provider. So whether that's a midwife, a family doc, or an obstetrician before you start an exercise program, because there are specific medical conditions uh, that will change the recommendations for exercise levels. The Canadian Society for Exercise Physiology has a really nice set of guidelines that I encourage your listeners to look into. It's, it's, six steps. It's very straightforward. Uh, they include uh, the recommended time. They include the different types. For example, they suggest adding some resistance training as well as aerobics training. They include pelvic floor exercises, so Kegel exercises on a daily basis to help uh, prevent urinary incontinence as well as pelvic floor function in general postpartum. The Supine or lying down position can be very uncomfortable, particularly in the late second and third trimesters. So it might be worth modifying the exercises that you do to avoid that position. Yeah, it's, it's funny. I've actually had uh, women go into labor in the gym while I was exercising sure. with them. And quite often they found that being strong and, and having an active body was actually that actually helped them in recovery, but also during labor uh, for strength. I, I hear that all the time when I'm catching babies in the hospital and they're pushing and they say, I'm so glad I exercised during my pregnancy because this would have been so hard if I hadn't. <laughs> That's awesome. They call it labor because it is work. And if you're not ready for it, <laughs> it's going to be a whole lot harder. <laughs> right. And a lot of the muscles that you're using for that are your abdominal muscles, the deep muscles inside, and then the lower back muscles. And so, you know, the stronger they are, that it just makes more sense that somebody would have more endurance, especially during a difficult labor. 
All right. So another couple of questions. Let's, let's keep on going here. While we're talking about the exercise side of things, I find this really interesting is resistance training and cardiovascular activity. They not only make the body stronger and give you more aerobic capacity, but they also help with mobility. How important is exercise for and what are some of the challenges people face actually when it comes to flexibility during pregnancy? The hormones of pregnancy change the way your muscles work, including flexibility. So if you could reach your toes before, you might not be able to for a number of reasons. One, the changes in your muscles and you now have a larger belly. So flexibility certainly changes and it depends what kind of exercises you're attempting to do. But I would say, listen to your body and definitely do not overstretch. So because your body might be able to stretch a little bit more because of this pregnancy hormones, you want to make sure you're not going past your pre-pregnancy levels of flexibility. That makes sense. Some of the, the hormones also change the, the laxity of some of the joints as well. Is that, is that the case? Especially closer to labor. Absolutely. Yeah. It's called relaxin, which is a great name for a hormone. And it causes the muscles to, to be able to stretch and relax a little bit more. The idea being that it helps your pelvic, pelvic muscles relax a little bit more to allow your baby to go through your pelvis. So they serve a good purpose, but don't abuse that. Right. And the other thing is, too, if you think about it, when you're you know, late into pregnancy, you've got extra weight in the front of your stomach, which is pulling on your lower back. Do you see a lot of people coming in presenting bad backs during pregnancy? It's so common. I think the, uh, the less common situation is that someone doesn't have back pain in pregnancy uh. because of the way it changes uh, your posture and how your your spine curves to hold that growing fetus uh, it puts a lot of strain on your low back so making sure that you're staying fit and stabilizing your core with exercise is the number one thing that you can do to prevent low back pain so we talked about weight training we talked about walking and getting some aerobic activity what about things like pilates and yoga are, are there some benefits to those as well absolutely actually in the, in the exercise guidelines to consider yoga or a stretching routine uh, because it helps with the core and it also helps with the flexibility. Before we get off the exercise side of things, you mentioned aerobic exercise and you said to, to stay about the same level if you were extremely active before, but to do more if you were just getting into it and you weren't active beforehand. Is there any guidelines on heart rate or how hard somebody should exert themselves? That will be very person dependent. So if you're someone who's really active and following your heart rate, I would talk to your physician. Mm. The general rule is that if you can talk through an exercise, then it's not too vigorous. We're talking about healthy habits during pregnancy with family physician and prenatal educator, Dr. Justine Spencer. We'll be right back after this break. Welcome back. We're talking to Dr. Justine Spencer from the BC Women's Hospital about healthy habits during pregnancy. From the first part of our show, we know that exercise during pregnancy can help with backaches, digestion, and swelling, and reduce our risk for gestational diabetes while sometimes making labor easier. In this segment, we talk about what healthy weight gain means for pregnant women, what you can do to stay healthy before you get pregnant, and how you can improve and maintain your mental health during a very happy but sometimes stressful period of pregnancy and having a newborn. Let's get back to Dr. Spencer. Let, let's now switch gears a little bit. Obviously, when people are pregnant, they're going to gain weight. Um, let's talk about what healthy weight gain looks like during pregnancy. 
I like this topic because everyone asks me how much weight is normal to gain. And they're often worried about not gaining enough weight or gaining too much weight. But I think just like when you're not pregnant, the focus should not be on the number on the scale. It should be on your health habits. So how are you eating? How are you exercising? Um, is everything else healthy in your pregnancy? And I think the number will fall into place. That being said, there is a general rule. So about 15 to 30 pounds over a pregnancy is what we consider a healthy weight uh, if you were normal weight to begin with. So we adjust those guidelines based on your pre-pregnancy weight. If you were underweight before, then we suggest that you gain a little bit more weight. And if you were overweight before, then we suggest that you gain a little bit less weight. Mm. Okay, so let's take it to those three different phases, you know, before, during, and after. You you say that, you know, you get people coming in that, that are they're trying to be, uh, become pregnant, for example. What are some things you would tell that person would be really important for, you know, preparing themselves for pregnancy? I would say focus on good health, just like all stages of your life. So look at your exercise routine. Are you meeting that 150 minutes of moderate to vigorous exercise per week? Uh, look at your diet and look at your weight. There are lots of problems with using BMI or body mass index uh, to assess for a healthy weight, but I would say you can use it as a general guideline in addition to talking to your physician to see if you're at a healthy weight. We had an episode on that recently. We talked about the new obesity guidelines and looking at all the other factors that come into play. And, and you know, I think that one thing that folks should should remember is that everybody's life circumstances are different. And so your genetics are different, your jobs are different, your social challenges are different. And so these all pose things that, that you should talk to your doctor about because they're going to be able to help you navigate that. A lot of stigma makes me really sad that some people who are what we might consider overweight based on a BMI number are feeling like they can't have a healthy pregnancy. And that is not true. Mm. No matter where you start from, you can have a healthy pregnancy. Well, I mean, there's, there's such a thing called metabolically healthy overweight, and there's lots of people that are unhealthy that are underweight. So it depends on a whole bunch of factors. And I th I'm glad that the world is starting to migrate away from the scale and starting to look at a much broader scope of what health really is. And that's what this show is about. So, so now somebody is, uh, so they become pregnant and they're during their pregnancy. We've talked about the importance of exercise. We're going to talk about nutrition today as well. But what would be some other things that you would tell people to incorporate into their lifestyle that may not have been there before? I think it's important to think of your general well-being. So we call it sort of the biopsychosocial areas of health. So think about diet and exercise, as we've talked about today. Think about your mental health. So what do you do for stress relief? Because being pregnant is also a stressful time. So calling on those sources of strength is very important at this time. Then the psycho, that's the psycho piece. And then the social piece is your social network. And we know that that's a big part of our health. So even jot it down in a journal. Who am I going to call if I'm struggling? Who am I going to call when my baby arrives and they're crying all night and they need a second pair of hands? So just making sure you call on all of your supports because you're going to need it. Right. Okay. Well, that's, that's, a, that's a really good point. And I think that that might be interesting, especially for first-time parents. They don't really understand you know, what, what necessarily is going to be uh, the demands on them, especially when it comes to things like sleep and, and, and stress and things like that. Um, so now somebody, say they've, they've gone through, they've had a healthy pregnancy, they've got a little baby at home. One of the challenges now is, is how do people recover and how do they get back to their pre-pregnancy health? This is a question I get a lot after someone has a baby, which is, when can I exercise again? 
And it very much depends on what happened with your delivery. So if you had a vaginal delivery, you have fewer limitations. You can increase your activity as your body tolerates it. In general, at six weeks, we say that you can get back into whatever activity you would like. The one caveat there is your pelvic floor. And I would say, see a pelvic floor physiotherapist to assess where you're at, because sometimes exercise, even though it might feel good, might actually uh, cause some harm to your pelvic floor. For a cesarean section delivery, you might have to wait a little bit longer to get back into more activity because you've had an abdominal surgery. So ease back into it. Certainly you want to walk around for the first few days and weeks after delivering a baby because it prevents blood clots and it also helps your mood, but you're going to want to wait a little bit longer to get back into your normal activities. Labor can be very difficult for people, and there can be some trauma that occurs afterwards. In particular, you mentioned the pelvic floor. Those are all muscles that can be trained. What can people do to help prevent some potential damage during pregnancy? You can prepare for your pelvic floor recovery in pregnancy. I suggest seeing a pelvic floor physiotherapist. I think I do on the specific exercise you can do, but in brief, it's Kegel exercises, and you can find that on the internet on how to do those, but it's strengthening of the the muscles right at the bottom of your pelvis and if you train them during pregnancy it helps keep them strong through delivery and postpartum so that's the first thing you can do is think about it during pregnancy after delivery again you can continue the kegel exercises and the various pelvic floor exercises and and talk to your doctor if you had a specific type of complication in your delivery like a forceps delivery, for example, you might be at increased risk of pelvic floor dysfunction, and there might be some more things that you can do to help heal. Okay. So also as part of, you know, having a new child, a lot of women or most women are are encouraged to breastfeed. What's the benefit of breastfeeding to the mother? There are a long list of benefits. Uh, The first thing that most people are interested in is that it helps you lose quote unquote, baby weight. So because you're producing high calorie milk, it helps you uh, get closer to your pre-pregnancy weight. It also helps you bond with your baby. It produces lots of happy chemicals in your brain. And then in terms of your bone density, uh, although you might temporarily lose bone density while you breastfeed, evidence suggests that after you stop breastfeeding, you actually gain back more bone density than you had before. Right. And I mean, and I know that resistance training in general is one way to be able to increase bone density as is. So having that repertoire, you know, probably wouldn't hurt at that point anyway, because then you're doing physical activity that promotes it while your body's reforming. Definitely. If there was a drug that does what exercise does, everyone would be on it and the person who created it would be absolutely rich. Yeah, there, there is a uh, drug, but what it requires is not to take anything, but you actually have to do exercise 150 minutes at least three times a week total in three different sessions. And that's actually, that's how they do it. That's how they prescribe it. What I do is actually write a prescription for exercise. And I, I will talk about exercise to my non-pregnant people and to my pregnant people because it's important to all stages of your life. Well, let's, let's keep on top of the exercise real quick, just about like, you know, not only do they get the physical benefits, but there's also the mental benefits. When somebody has a child and they're at home and they're under new stress and there's a new a newborn, how valuable is getting out and going for a walk and, and not only for the baby, but for the, ch- for the mother as well? I can't tell you how often I hear that when they got out for a walk, they felt better. 
And for so many reasons, one, it's the chemicals in the brain, the neurotransmitters that, that lead to well feeling, well feelings of well-being. Uh, they increase when you exercise. And then you're also getting out and, and engaging with the world, which is, I think, really important. When you're at home with your new baby, you feel like you're alone. So getting out there, connecting with others, connecting with the world, connecting with your body is incredibly important. One other thing with the postpartum scenario is sometimes people get postpartum depression. What's some advice that people can take if they're struggling with that? Postpartum depression is very common. And right now with the pandemic and the isolation that's coming as a result of it, um, unfortunately, we're seeing more postpartum depression. So if you're feeling that your mood is low, please talk to your care provider, your midwife or your doctor. Um, there's lots of help out there. One thing you can do to help prevent postpartum depression is the connection we talked about, as well as exercise, because it increases those neurotransmitters in the brain that lead to feelings of well-being. There is research to back it up. It decreases your chance of postpartum depression. So think about getting moving. Right. Well, that's that's been the trend through our conversation today. I think that's just so vitally important for people because, you know, somebody like yourself who has access to all sorts of medicines and all sorts of techniques, but, you know, exercise seems to really resonate across the board. Is there anything else you would, you would sort of give people as closing remarks on, you know, how to stay healthy before, during, and after pregnancy? I think in general, just listen to your body. Try to get moving as much as you can, as often as you can. And talk to your care provider if you have any concerns about getting active. Mm. Yeah, they're the experts that can help you out and they're there to guide you. And, and uh, that makes life a lot easier for everybody involved. Well, thank you so much for taking the time today. I really appreciate it. I know our listeners really do as well. It's very rare that we get a chance to talk about a topic so in depth and so specifically um, with an expert like yourself. So thank you. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, that was Dr. Justine Spencer from the BC Women's Hospital sharing the importance of exercise during pregnancy. When we come back, we'll be talking with registered dietitian Jessica Tong about eating right before, during, and after pregnancy. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Now, what a woman eats and drinks during pregnancy is her baby's main source of nourishment. So experts recommend that expecting mother's diet should include a variety of healthy foods and beverages to provide the important nutrients a baby needs for growth and development. Well, here to share all the tips you need about eating right during pregnancy is registered dietitian Jessica Tong. Jessica graduated from McGill University and currently works out of Vancouver, British Columbia. She's been featured on Global News, Elle Magazine, The Huffington Post, and CBC, sharing tips on everything you need to know about eating right. She works extensively with women and pregnancy. So let's hear what she has to say. Welcome to the show, Jessica. Good to see you again. Thanks, Mike. Nice to see you as well. So we're, we're talking about a subject today that I think that a lot of people aren't given uh, a lot of guidance on, and that is how should we be taking care of ourselves or eating before, during, and post-pregnancy, and that's an area you're really passionate about. Why don't you give people an overview about how things would shift throughout their pregnancy? So I think throughout the pregnancy, in your three different trimesters, your nutrient needs are really, really different. Historically, it's been said, you know, you need to eat 
two times the amount because you're feeding two. I think for the most part, a lot of people know that that's a myth and that's not true anymore. So most people aren't following that and aren't doing that. But I think there are a lot of uh, details, the nitty gritty that people aren't aware of. For example, you do hear a lot about folate or folic acid, um, and there's a lot of focus on that particular nutrient. But beyond that, there are so many other things that are important to think about. Mm. Food safety is another very popular one that some people um, focus very much on, and it actually creates a lot of stress and fear. But, you know, the reality of it is that a lot of the foods that are deemed possibly unsafe or uh, have a risk of foodborne illness, you know, the, the chances are quite slim. But for some reason in the media, there are just certain things that we focus on so much. But, yeah, it's, it's a little bit blown out of proportion. Right. I think that's why it's so important. Today, we're going to debunk a bunch of myths. We're going to talk about foods people should avoid. Obviously, some of the obvious things like alcohol, but I think you just mm-hmm. talked about foods uh, like uh, like sushi, for example, something that comes to mind where there's like food safety. We're going to mm-hmm. talk about all those different things. And I think that's really what people need to know is as much practical information as we can get out there so that people understand, okay, like before, during and after, how do I take care of myself? So if we were to look at somebody's pregnant, getting pregnant, so you know that's something that may not be necessarily something that can be planned for a lot of couples, but for couples that are mm-hmm. looking at getting pregnant or are trying to get pregnant, what are some things mm-hmm. that folks should pay attention to with their nutrition? So some studies have said that um, the thousand days before you actually become pregnant are actually very important to your overall health and to your pregnancy. So that's you know, about three years. And for a lot of people, no one's planning, you know, three years in advance. And, you know, like you said, sometimes these things cannot be really much uh, planned. So the idea first and foremost is to try to have that healthy lifestyle, healthy diet. I know it's easier said than done, but if you are planning to start a family at some point in your life, it's never too early to start thinking about it and to start optimizing your health and your environment for that. Right. We talked about exercise before pregnancy, but with diet, I think that being an optimal or a healthy weight and having a a well-balanced diet would probably play a pretty important role because it affects all aspects of our health. Absolutely. So being at a healthy weight is something that uh, is certainly recommended because we've seen in research that it can reduce the risk of pregnancy complications um, and things like gestational diabetes. Uh, So we do want to encourage that healthy weight pre-pregnancy, but even if there was um, you know, a little bit of, or the, the women start off at a, a higher weight, um, we want to ensure that her weight gain during the pregnancy is appropriate. Mm-hmm. And so when somebody becomes pregnant, and we'll get to that now, but what is, what is really the role of, uh, of a dietitian and how can people avail of it? Because I think people think they go see their physician, but they might not think, sure. I need to go check with a dietitian. I think the reality of it is that, you know, when we Google something, there's going to be so much information that pops up. A lot of times it's, a lot of times it's conflicting. Um, and a lot of times it's untrue. There's a lot of misinformation out there. So the role of a dietitian is to walk you through your pregnancy, um, one semester, you know, at a time, uh, just because your needs are very different at each of those times. And we often are dealing with different things. So for example, a lot of women tend to get the morning sickness during the first trimester. And that's when it's so hard to stomach food. Um, your preferences change so much. You get these crazy cravings that you wouldn't have you know, never thought about. Um, but what we're trying to do is still ensure that you're getting some sort of nutrition and working through some of these challenges. 
the role of the dietitian is to guide you, to help you, to give you advice on how to still eat the best that you can, and also to take away that guilt. Because I think a lot of women, they feel bad. They think, I'm going to be the model pregnant mom. You know, I'm going to be um, gaining the right amount of weight. I'm going to be eating the right things. Everything's going to be perfect. But the reality of it is that it doesn't always happen because you don't feel up for it, right? So the role of the dietitian is to tell you that even if you don't eat all the right things and do all the right things, it doesn't mean that you're a bad mom or you're sabotaging your pregnancy. Right. Probably moderation extends itself to pregnancy 100%. Hit on a bunch of things that I really want to talk about. Um, First thing is, there's a lot of people that are really health conscious. Okay, I mean, they may be Mm -hmm. having a relatively caloric restricted diet before they get pregnant. How does somebody have to change their caloric intake when they do conceive? So actually, in the first little bit of your pregnancy, your caloric needs don't change very much. So what you require isn't too different from when you were not pregnant. It's when we move into the second and third trimester that the needs do increase, the calorie needs increase, but not by too much. It's not a lot more than, again, what you start off with. So from baseline, you're looking at um, about 400 calories extra or so, which for a lot of people is a light meal. Um, maybe even a heavier snack. Again, there's just a misconception out there that you have to really increase that volume of food. But unfortunately, that can lead to its own complications, whether it's digestive issues, you know, or heartburn, where you're already at a higher predisposition to heartburn. And for some other women, it may just be uh, excessive weight gain that their body doesn't need. Right. And on the other side of things, I think you said it right at the beginning, nausea. So somebody is mm-hmm. trying to consume a little bit more than normal, but they feel not well and they're having trouble mm-hmm. eating. How do you navigate nausea for some of the people you work with? So, you know, with nausea, it happens differently for different women. Some people get it more after meals and some people say, I just wake up with it, haven't had food for, you know, a long time. So it's really an individual approach to see when they are the most unwell and what are things that they are able to tolerate, are able to stomach and trying to build on that. So I take the things that are working for them and I try to expand it gradually, whether it's in the form of volume or the types of food, finding similarities, things that won't make them sick. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but the macronutrients you need to take would be relatively similar in proportion during pregnancy than they would in normal diet, right? Individuals yeah. are having trouble stomaching. For example, I think protein and meat can be really challenging for people with nausea. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's mm-hmm. ways you can supplement other protein sources in. Absolutely. Yeah. So for example, you know, eggs are great. We know that they're a great complete source of protein, but they also have uh, choline, which uh, is not often talked about and is actually very important during pregnancy and to prevent neural tube defects. So choline is you know, most readily found in eggs amongst all the foods. So that's something that's really valuable. Right. And, and, you know, and some people may change their food, not because they're asked to change their food by their dietitian, but they may end up with different food cravings. Can you, you know, explain any rationale we have for that? And secondly, like, what are some of the common ones you see and how do you help navigate that for people? I think the reality of it is that your hormones are changing so much that what sorts of things light up your pleasure centers and what um, your body is signaling to you is very different from usual, right? So most women describe getting these strange cravings of things that, you know, they don't usually eat or wouldn't usually crave, but they just need it and need it now. So as part of intuitive eating, we always want to honor these cravings. We never want to deprive ourselves just because we think, okay, 
I want to have ice cream for dinner. I know it's not great for me, but honoring those cravings and really being in the moment and understanding that your body is going through change and that's just what your body needs right now. It's okay. And it's actually recommended to do that. So to put that guilt aside and just listening to your body. Well, when you're thirsty, you drink water. So same sort of thing. Exactly. Your body tends to actually know what is in foods and what the energy concentration and density is, whether we know it or not. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So that's a, that's a, that's a big thing. There's a couple other things that we know we've got to avoid. Mm-hmm. You know, what are some, what are some no-go zones for people that are, that are pregnant? So I think alcohol is a very obvious one. Other common ones are things like raw fish, um, anything raw, unpasteurized and unpasteurized cheeses and dairy products as well. But I think even honestly, the school of thought around that is shifting. And we're seeing that it really depends on where you're getting it, if you're getting it from responsible or a reputable source, where they do their due diligence, it may be appropriate in small quantities to have something like sushi or uh, raw cheeses and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reality of it is that we can be at a higher risk of getting foodborne illness from things like raw fruits and vegetables, oftentimes more so than unpasteurized dairy or raw egg yolks, like runny egg yolks, I should say. So a lot of people, again, focus on these things. I, you know, I can't have um, you know, X, Y, Z, I can't have runny yolks. Everything has to be cooked very thoroughly when, you know, to be honest, when you're having things like fruits and vegetables, there can be a similar or even greater risk that we don't focus on, but no one's going to tell you don't eat your fruits and vegetables. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, I've, yeah. It's funny. I never got turned off a salad, but probably the worst case of uh, <laughs> food poisoning in my life was from a salad. So, but before we move off of like, you know, the pregnancy itself stage, Are there any supplements people should be taking or can take or sometimes recommended for people that are pregnant? You know, the main one that is recommended is folate. So folate mainly comes from things like leafy greens, beans and legumes, but a lot of our grains are fortified with folic acid as well. You know, again, there is emphasis on in the in the media, but for good reason, just because the association with risk of neurotube defects. But the understanding is if you do have a balanced, healthy diet with diversity, you're not restricting anything, you're not in any crash diet or anything like that, you shouldn't have much trouble getting adequate folate from your food in the developing world. We're here with registered dietitian Jessica Tong talking about nutrition during pregnancy. We'll be right back after this break. Welcome back. I'm here with registered dietitian Jessica Tong talking about eating right during pregnancy. Let's get back to the interview. So now somebody has had a new baby and mm-hmm. a lot of the time they may be sort of outside the, the, the heavy optics that they've had from their medical team because now they're at home, they're nursing, they're raising the child. How does, how does nutrition play a part at that stage? Because I got to think it's got to be pretty important. Absolutely. So in terms of your milk production, the nutrient profile of your milk, that's all going to very much depend on your nutrition as well or on mom's nutrition. Um, So that plays a part in baby's development and baby's growth as well. We also see that there are certain things that um, if is very much present or excessive in mom's diet, it can affect baby and make baby more colicky, um, affect things like sleep. So we want to make sure that the nutrient makeup of the milk is optimal, not just for mom's recovery, uh, but also baby's development. That's interesting. I never knew that. What What are some of the things that could potentially impact mom's diet that can affect the child? 
So I think caffeine can be one of them. And it doesn't mean that caffeine is off limits, but certainly, you know, something that we don't want to do in excess, just like in pregnancy. Yeah, we see that it can be things like uh, sugar or even spicy foods, possibly. So a lot of times it does take a little bit of trial and error to identify whether there is an association, but your healthcare team is there to guide you through that because the last thing we want is for moms to be afraid, right? And, you know, again, postpartum, oftentimes there are a lot of anxieties around so many different things, mm-hmm. but we hate, we'd hate for this to be just something else that contributes to their anxiety and they start restricting foods or avoiding all these different things that not only bring pleasure, but also are sources of nutrients. So we want to always approach any sort of elimination diet or um, trial of of cutting something out uh, with caution and in a safe way. Mm. Okay. So you said some really interesting things there. I want to, I definitely want to go back and touch on postpartum and how nutrition plays a role in that. But before we get to that, when people are breastfeeding, is there increased energy demand from that? Because I know that bone density changes, for example, during that period of time, and then people can experience weight loss during that period of time. How does breastfeeding impact the mom? So other than, you know, certainly the the emotional connection and the bonding that happens from a nutrition and physiological standpoint, what you are experiencing is that shift in the energy or the nutrients from mom to baby. So it is actually part of a healthy and natural way for mom to lose some of the pregnancy weight and get back to, you know, closer to where she was at baseline. Not that, you know, weight is the focus, but for a lot of moms, it is a good way to get back um, into their their previous routine and, and previous rhythms. Absolutely, you hit on the nose that your calorie needs generally are much higher. Um, you're, you know, expending that energy and you're you're passing on those nutrients. So you need to replenish adequately in order to support that. Mm, yeah, and, and I mean, it's obviously a trying time too because there's lack of sleep and then there's a, a demand and you're literally the food source for a, a brand new baby. Mm-hmm. You, hit, you talked about postpartum. That's a tough time for moms. How can diet impact that very difficult phase for a lot of women? So I think, you know, again, there are foods that we tend to associate with energy, such as caffeine. But sometimes with caffeine, the problem is that if you overdo it, it can be overstimulating um, in the nervous system, which can induce anxiety and can worsen stress levels. So sometimes, you know, that caffeine isn't going to be your best friend when you're trying to create sort of a peaceful environment amidst everything that's going on. So it's really important to get sort of the right balance of your different foods. There are also foods that tend to make you feel a little bit more calm and at ease and they don't cause your blood sugar levels to spike. Um, So these are also things that can make you just feel a little bit more level in a time where yeah, you're probably pulled in all different directions. I'm really not surprised that junk food, caffeine, high sugar, stuff like that <laughs> is, is not on the menu at that stage. <laughs> so not only is it important for the mom, but what happens? Not every woman can breastfeed, you know, and some people have trouble nursing. Can you break down formula versus breast milk? What some of the pros and cons are for each one of those? Mm-hmm. So we understand that in breast milk, you get your full spectrum of nutrients, which nowadays uh, I find that formula can almost mimic. But what you don't necessarily get in formula is some of those chemicals that can boost your immunity and give you the immunoprotection that formula wouldn't be able to provide. Right. So it's one thing that really sets it apart from formula. 
and why breast milk is still considered bad. Mm. Yeah, that's understandable. And of course, you said the bonding earlier, and I know that there's some bone density effects as well. So it's always recommended for those that can, but mm-hmm. nice, nice to know that at least there's really good solutions for those that, that can't. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. It's not, not a possibility for them. So another thing that happens, and I would expect this would happen also uh, later on in the pregnancy as the baby gets larger, is digestive issues. Mm-hmm. Help clarify some of the challenges people may experience during that. Yeah, the digestive issues can range anywhere from nausea to heartburn to constipation. Constipation tends to be a very common one and, you know, even hemorrhoids. Uh, So, you know, it's one of those things where a lot of women don't feel comfortable talking about. Of course, being in healthcare, we're so familiar with it. So it's, it's just another word to us. But but constipation is something that's certainly uh, not easy to deal with. And I think the problem is that for the average adult, we don't actually eat enough fiber to begin with. But again, you know, given, let's say, uh, water intake or, you know, fast metabolism, healthy lifestyle, um, physical activity, we sort of get by with suboptimal fiber intake. But when you're pregnant, you know, it's harder to get by um, when you're not eating enough. So I guess that. And that really reveals itself a lot more. So with constipation management, other than, let's say, taking a supplement, um, we want to look at what sort of foods the woman can stomach and can tolerate, but are also going to be very conducive to relieving constipation and encouraging normal smooth bowel movements. Whether that's, um, you know, certain types of fiber, and then, of course, you know, with fiber, that's such a broad umbrella term. So within that, what types of fiber are going to be more uh, effective than others? And then things like probiotics as well. So, you know, part of our job is to navigate that world with moms-to-be and ensure that they are getting the right types of nutrients to prevent constipation. And I've heard of women where, you know, they struggle a lot with constipation, but then when they just got the right formula, they finally found the right formula, and then it was life-changing. Well, Jess, that's that's some pretty amazing information, super valuable for people. I think it's stuff that people don't hear normally. Any other advice or closing advice for folks that are that are going through pregnancy or just had a baby when it comes to nutrition? I think the reality of it is that, you know, a lot of women feel like every day is something a little bit different and you never really know what you're going to be experiencing, how you're going to be feeling, um, what baby's going to do. So take it a day at a time. It's always going to be different and changing, but uh, our job is to go through those changes with you and help you navigate the information from the misinformation. So sometimes when you are feeling overwhelmed or bombarded with information, um, what we can do is take all of that, weed out the things that you know are not supported by research, and also weed out the things that don't apply to you, right? That has to be relevant and then be able to give you very pointed direction as to what's going to help and what's going to be beneficial today. And tomorrow, that might change, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, definitely a journey. It's not a sprint, and you just want to be patient with yourself, with baby, and uh, everything will be okay. No, I, th- I think you got you hit the nail on the head. Uh, people now listening to this know what questions they can ask their doctor, their dietitian, to be able to navigate some of these things. And I think the big thing would be that it's very normal to experience a whole variety of different things during pregnancy. It's a very complex time physiologically, and it's really important people take care of the nutrition. So thank you for taking the time today and sharing that. My pleasure, Mike. Yeah, it's a, it's a great topic. It's 
you know, we, we talk about some of the things that you have to be concerned about um, and things that you need to just pay attention to, but it's such a fun and exciting time as well. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, the, the new things that every day brings, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's interesting, right? And it keeps mm-hmm. you on your toes and yeah, it's a lot of fun. So. Well, it's nice to hear about the things that you just shouldn't do and talk about some of the positive things you can do. Because <laughs> yeah. like, I feel like a lot of it is like, don't do this, don't do this. But it's like, you can do this and you should do this. And, and that's what people Absolutely. really need to hear. So thank you so much. And okay. I'm sure we'll see you on the show again soon. Yes, I look forward to it. Thank you to Justine and Jessica for taking the time to walk us through the importance of exercise and eating right during pregnancy. If you want to learn more about the guidelines for exercise, you can find them on csep.ca, that's csep.ca. And if you want to find resources here in the province, you can go to gov.nl.ca and search for prenatal or postnatal, and you will find all sorts of helpful information. Well, that's today's show. Thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Wall, and we'll see you back here next week for another episode of the Wellness and Healthy Lifestyle Show on your VOCM.